Unsolved South. I'm your host, Michelle. And I'm Maddie, and we are recording virtually today, so I hope that uh, our audio is wonderful. Hope so. We'll see how it goes, but right? I just wanted to give that little disclaimer out there. <laughs> yeah? We're using a new program, so hopefully it's uh, better quality. Fingers crossed. Okay, so I hope everybody had a great week. Maddie, did you have a good week? I did. It was a pretty good week. It's been very, very busy, but uh, it's good nonetheless. Well, that's good. Um, so, I know we usually keep the stories till the end, but something kind of weird happened to me today, and I don't know, it's got me a little shook up, so I want to just talk about it real quick. Yes, please tell. Okay, so... Um, I was in Wilkes County, and I was on my way back um, towards the next big city. And this road is a wider road, and the speed limit on it is 65. So I set my cruise control just a little bit over the speed limit, and that's that, right? So you can see forever on this road like miles up Mm. the road it's pretty straight it's a little hilly but you can see forever so way way up ahead of us is uh like a log truck and then um just a little bit up ahead of me is it actually was two big trucks and a car was in between them But I couldn't see the car at first. But in any Mm -hmm. case, before I got towards them, the one in the back passed both of them. And it wasn't a big deal. He had plenty of room. I wasn't even close to him yet, right? So um, he's in the lead now. Right. Well, when I get up and um, just with my cruise control, I pass the car and the other truck you know, no issue, and I get up, and I'm passing the truck in the front, it's a green truck, I'm passing it, and just with Mm -hmm. my cruise control, I haven't touched the gas, and I get past him, and all of a sudden, he comes flying back up next to me, and he's, like, riding next to me, and, you know, it's two lanes, (laughs) there's it was like I don't know what he was doing and so um you know I kind of glanced over but in my car all I can see is you know like just the bottom part of his step yeah and um so I speed up a little bit and I get past him and you know I don't think much of it I'm just driving along listening to a podcast minding my business and all of a sudden he comes back up and he's like right up next to me again hmm And so I'm like, what is this dude doing, right? So I hit the gas and and I passed him, passed him. And, you know, I got a good ways in front of him and, you know, put on my turn signal, got over and everything. And I'm driving along. I reset my cruise control. I double checked. He's not gaining on me. He's just back where he was. Everything's cool, right? Right. So I'm cruising along and glance up and he is flying up on me. What? And he gets like right up behind me. And he's like riding my bumper right up behind me. Now, mind you, there's nobody else on the road but the truck and the car way behind us. And the log truck way up in front of us. And the log truck's still probably like a mile up the road in front of us. Yeah. And so, um, and the whole left-hand lane is open if he wants to pass. But he doesn't. He just gets right up on my bumper. You know, we've talked about before, I, I drive a good car. Yeah. So, I hit the gas, and I mean, I left him. And, um, so I get up there and I'm like, I don't know what this dude's problem is, but I left him just way back. So, you know, I check, I make sure, you know, I'm not anywhere near him and I'm not. And so I'm going up a hill, you know, I go back down the hill, I, you know, we get back on a straightaway, I think, you know, whatever it is it's done with. And 
I glance up in my rearview mirror and he is like barreling down on me again. What the heck? So I don't know. I have no clue. And so I'm like, I don't know what's going on with this dude, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, is he going to pass? What is he doing? And, you know, I'm back to my cruise control again, but he should not have been able to catch me at my cruise control because remember when I first went to pass him, I never touched the gas. I was just with my cruise control, right? right? So with my cruise control set, and I've bumped it up a little bit just to make sure, he should not have been just running up on me. But he's not just like steadily gaining. He is like barreling towards me. What the heck? And so he's coming like dead for me. He's in the right-hand lane. He's not like in the passing lane. And um, I'm coming up towards this log truck now. And so I don't want to be behind the log truck because, well, one, final destination. Yeah. But two, because the log chips fly off and I don't want my car dinged up. And three, because I don't want this other truck to come and sandwich me in behind this log truck and get me where I can't pass or whatever. So I like book it around this log truck and he does too. And he is like up on me and I'm like, what on earth? So finally I'm like, I'm done playing with this dude. So I just leave him. I just, I risk the ticket. I'm like, um, you know, whatever happens, happens. The road's wide open. It's clear. It's dry. I'll risk it. But I've got to get away from this dude because he's so creepy acting, right? And yeah. um, so I get up into town. I see him way back behind me. I know he can still see me. And um, I get stopped at a stoplight. And so I see him coming up. So I make a turn. And then he makes that turn. Hmm. And so, um, I'm like, I don't know if he's following me, if he just so happens to be going that way, because trucks do use that route. It's not, you know, like, odd for a truck to take that turn, but I don't know what his deal is at this point. Yeah. And so, um, I pass and there's, well, there's a pick up in front of me and so I pass him to kind of put some distance again between me and the other truck and I look up and he's like barreling towards me again and this is in the middle this is not a 65 anymore this is a 55 this is you know just like a kind of busy area it's not a road that you run fast like that on right and he is he is running fast and so I'm like, man, this is creepy. And so, you know, I'm kind of watching him and watching. And so um, there's another log truck. And so I get up behind this log truck. Mm-hmm. And the guy's coming in the green truck. And so I like dodge out from behind the log truck and I pass and then I put a lot of distance between me and the log truck and he's back kind of at the back of the log truck though yeah at this point and I get up and there's a turning lane coming up and so I just take the turning lane and turn real quick because I know he can't make it mm-hmm. And so I went and sat like at the Walmart parking lot. And at first I was like, that's, that's weird. But when I stopped at the Walmart parking lot, like I was shaking. It really shook me up. Like, I don't know what the dude's deal was. I don't know. You know, it's not like I cut him off or anything. I use my signal anytime I'm passing anybody. He had already passed, so his lane was wide open. There was no way that I cut him off. There was no way that I pulled over too far in front of him. I never touched my brake the entire time. So it's not like I got in front of him and slammed on brakes or did anything that could have made him mad or give him road rage. Right. So I don't know if he like got next to me and realized that I was a woman alone. 
Mm, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it really shook me up. It really, it really shook me up. And you know me, yeah, I'm not somebody crazy. that gets shook. No, not at all. So, you know, generally I'm like, fool, I'm done playing with you. And I go about my life. And I know, like, I could have just outrun him, outrun him. But, you know, I also don't want to endanger anybody else on the road. I also don't want a ticket. But, you know, and I wasn't trying. I was just trying to get away from him just to put some distance. Like, if I put distance, he'll just get away from me. And then I thought about it yeah. afterwards, and I was like, man, Kathy works with 18-wheelers. She works with truck drivers. If I'd have got, like, a name off of his door or something, she probably could have looked him up. Yeah. And I I didn't think to do it. Because when I first went to pass him, I had no reason to believe I was going to have an issue. Right. And then by the time I realized there was an issue with him, he was behind me, and I certainly wasn't going to let him catch back up to me. Yeah. So I didn't even get a chance to do that. So then I'm kicking myself because I'm like, man, I wish I'd have paid attention when I passed to what it said on his door or whatever. A green truck isn't like a lot to go on. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> so, I don't know. But anyway, I don't know. It just, it, it, it rattled me. It really did. Yeah, that would rattle anybody. So, it's kind of uh, interesting because I was in Wilkes County, and the story that I'm going to cover today comes out of Wilkes County. A place we're very familiar with. And I know I said, yes, and I know I said I was going to stay out of Georgia for a while, and I did. I stayed out for a minute, but um, y'all know I wasn't going to stay out too long. Mm-hmm. It's too interesting here. Yeah, crazy things happen. So, apparently... All right, so um, we're about to get started on this, and I know that you um, will probably remember this story because especially where we're from, it was so popular. Yeah, um, it's a wild a ton story. Of deer yeah, so um, I'm sure you remember a lot of what you were told and everything, but I think I'll give you some details you didn't know before. I'm excited. I really am really excited for this one. Yeah, I figured you would be. And I'm going to clear up some um, rumors because I know that back when it happened, there were a lot of rumors flying, and turns out some of those are not true, but um, what what is true is interesting enough. Okay, I don't usually give a warning, but um, we're going to discuss suicide in this story fairly heavily, so if that's something you can't handle, we'll just catch you on the next episode. Um, If it's something that I was just mentioning, I probably wouldn't even bother with a warning, but we're actually going to go into some discussion about it, so I do just want to throw that out there. If you can't handle that, just we'll catch y'all next week. Y'all have a good week. So, moving on. Georgia is a hunter's paradise. There are right at a million acres of wildlife management areas, not to mention all the private leases and the hunting clubs. You are within an hour's drive of good hunting from anywhere in the entire state of Georgia. So anywhere you find yourself in the state of Georgia within an hour, you can have really good hunting. In late September of 2012, The first few days of fall, to be exact, one of these wildlife management areas held a special firearms deer hunt. This is a hunt that's held before deer season actually starts. So um, you have to sign up to be able to do. You can't just come out and hunt. Um, So hunters are really excited when these special hunts come up because you know it's something out of the ordinary and it it's a little more controlled as in how many people are involved the clarks hill wildlife management area stretches 12,700 acres so it's pretty big it crosses three counties mcduffie lincoln and wilkes 
Over 260 people signed up to take part in this special hunt, and among these were best friends David Charles Smith and Jeffrey Sean Gebhardt. They were from Blairsville, Georgia, which is in North Georgia, and Maddie is familiar with that. Why? Yes, I got married there. I got married there. It's absolutely beautiful up there. It's in the mountains, just at the foothills. It is gorgeous if you've never been. Yes. They had been camping since Thursday at Holiday Park, which is a local campground near the hunt area. The hunt didn't start till Friday, but, you know, they came in a little early because, you know, when you're hunting, you go out early. So, they wanted to be ready. So, plus, you know, guys, weekends, you got to get there a little early, right? On the day Mm -hmm. of the hunt, Friday, the two friends went off their separate ways. So, they did not hunt together together. They split up and each went their own separate ways to hunt. During this time, Gebhardt became lost, and he wandered through the woods. He finally found his way to the road where a fellow hunter stopped and just to check and see if he was all right, and then gave him a ride back to where his car was parked. That was Friday. So Saturday, September 22nd, They again separated the two friends, and they went off, and they were going to hunt all day. That evening, David made it back to the campsite at Holiday Park and realized he had beat Gebhardt back. But that didn't really bother him. You know, he just figured he's out hunting. Hopefully, he had some good luck. You know, he went about his business, didn't think much of it. Right. Until it started getting dark, and then he started to get concerned. Soon, he received a phone call from Gebhardt. Well, actually, he got several phone calls from Gebhardt, and he was lost again. He tried to describe where he was, but let's be honest, it all pretty much looks the same. It's trees and water. It's trees and water. That's what it looks like. Yep. Trees and water. And there's nothing out there. He was near the lake shore, he said, but this is Lake Thurmond, um, known by locals as Clark's Hill Lake. And it's absolutely huge. It's 71,000 mm. acres of water. It has over 1,200 miles of shoreline. So even knowing that he was on the lake shore really was not that helpful. Right. After talking with his friend a few times on the phone and him not being able to help, David called 911 around 10 p.m. Gebhardt also called 911. That was, in fact, the last call he made before his phone died. The Wilkes County Sheriff's Office, DNR, and the Washington Fire Department were sent out immediately to begin searching. They were soon joined by the GSP and the GBI. And for folks that can't recall or just don't know, DNR is the Department of Natural Resources, so they handle the woods and stuff. Uh, GSP is the Georgia State Patrol. Mm. If you're from the area or if you drive through the area, you got to watch out more. <laughs> and the GBI is, again, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Right. At about 2 a.m., a, a um, GSP helicopter spotted a heat signature in a very remote area of the marsh. And it was grassland that is normally underwater, but it wasn't because the lake levels were very low that year. It took nearly an hour for them to hike into him. And when they did, they found Jeffrey Sean Gebhardt, 35, leaning up against a tree. He had been stabbed to death. Immediately, a murder investigation began. Naturally. The sheriff's office interviewed everyone that was, yeah, they interviewed everyone that was hunting in the area. They interviewed David, and they even interviewed the man that had give, given Gebhardt a ride on Friday when he had gotten lost. 
Then they put a call out and said, hey, if you're in the area hunting and we have not talked to you, let us know because we need to talk to you. We just, you know, want to know if you saw anything. Right. The sheriff went out of his way to say, you know, don't be too concerned. We don't believe there's some, quote, Rambo type murderer running around the woods killing hunters. Okay. And and it was a real concern, you know, because you're out hunting, you're deep in the woods, and you don't expect to be attacked, certainly not stabbed. Right. On, on October 31st, the GBI's autopsy confirmed that it was murder. Gebhardt had no less than 17 sharp force injuries including a very deep penetrating wound to the abdomen and three wounds into the heart. Oh, my goodness. And that's where the story stood for nearly 10 months. On August 7th, 2013, a grand jury decided to close the case, concluding that, quote, Based upon the opinion of state medical examiner Daniel Brown, M.D., that the wound, including the fatal ones, on Mr. Gebhardt were self-inflicted. What? In 2015, two days before what would have been Mr. Gebhardt's 39th birthday, his mother requested that his case be featured at... A, an event that they do in apparently big cities. This actually sounds like a really neat thing to get involved in. Mm-hmm. But it's cold cases and cocktails. We should do that one day. We should hold one. We should do like a ghost stories and cocktails or something. We've got to come yeah, up with a like better spirits name. Spirits and Spirits. Oh, I love that. There you go. <laughs> Um, during this event, the cold cases and cocktails, the participants are able to view the police files, their evidence, crime scene photos, all of it. Mm-hmm. Then they're encouraged to just throw out theories and ask any questions that come to mind. They're able to pick the brains of the visiting panel, and this panel usually includes... And this one in particular did include a criminal profiler, a homicide detective from the Atlanta Police Department, a former district attorney, an investigator, and a trauma nurse. Hmm. Over a hundred people attended the event. So during the event, the participants are asked to consider what makes this case look like murder versus what makes this case look like suicide. Okay. I like the way they broke that down. Yes. So since I liked it, I thought that that's the way we need to do it. Okay. So I'm also about to give you some more facts and evidence and you tell me how you classify it. All right. You ready? Yep. All right. Let's murder. Get to it. I'm just kidding. Get Gebhardt was known as a very experienced, very cautious hunter. He used a body harness anytime he was in his tree stand, and he was known to unload his rifle before climbing ever. To me, this seems, okay, I know a lot of hunters, and I know very few that would use a body harness in their tree stand. Okay, that Most is... Most of them are just like, oh, if I fall, I fall. Yeah, that is, unless they have fallen before. Because uh, Noah's True, dad... he's a young man. Noah's dad actually fell out of a tree stand, and it was a near-death experience. And so ever since then... And, and then that makes very sense. cautious. Yeah. Okay. And that makes sense. But, like you said, now he's cautious. So, is somebody that's concerned, that concerned about getting hurt or hurting someone else, 
somebody that's just like, okay, now myself? I'm no. going to kill myself. I mean. Absolutely not. That, that's, yeah, so. Okay. He was very excited that he was about to go back to college, or he had just started to go back to college. And he was looking forward to the actual start of hunting season. They had a lot planned. He was super excited. So he was looking towards the future. He had things on the horizon. Murder. (laughs) Found near his body, not next to it, but within several feet, was a backpack containing a few items, including a water bottle and a college textbook. So, yeah, he was going to study. So, he was not out of water. He had a water bottle. Well, I guess maybe on his downtime, he figured, you know, he'd look into it a little bit. Maybe. You know, because they're not going to be hunting the whole entire time. At some point, you're just sitting around the camp. If it rains, you need something to do. I take a book when I go camping. Yeah, but a textbook? Wouldn't you just leave it in your tent if that was the case? Yeah, I'm not sure why it was in his um, thing, but, you know, deer hunting is a lot of waiting around. Right. And so you're sitting in the stand waiting on something to come across you. And so it's a lot of waiting around. I don't know that it's that out of the ordinary that somebody would bring something else to do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of deer hunters will get up there and sleep or whatever, but I don't know if it was that odd that he had a college textbook. But if anything, it does reinforce how excited he was to be going to college, right? Right. Also in the area was an orange safety vest, so a hunting vest, a folding Kershaw knife, a mud-covered flashlight, a Boston Red Sox cap, and two rifles. Got it. Okay. Uh, Billy thought the fact that he brought two rifles was a little odd because... Why? Um, I don't know if that was just a habit. I couldn't find anything that said, yeah, he always took two rifles... You know, I don't know. I don't know if he had, like, a new one he was wanting to cite out. And, you know, he also wanted to have his old trusty one in case the new one he didn't like the way it was working or whatever. I don't know the reason for the two rifles. And these are both confirmed as his rifles? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Noah has a rifle that he's never shot before, so it sounds like, you know, he could... That theory sounds, you know, plausible, where he could take that one just in case because he doesn't know how well it's going to shoot. Right, and, you know, you may need to try to get your sight right. You may get in there and be like, um, see the most huge buck you've ever seen in the world, and you're like, I ain't got time to be sighting this rifle and stuff. I don't want to take a chance. So, I mean, I don't know if it's that odd. I just wanted to mention it. But going back over what he has, he had water. He had light. Mm -hmm. He had his Mm -hmm. um, orange hunting vest. So he wasn't dehydrating. He was going to be able to see um, in the dark to look around or whatever. He had two guns. So, I'm just throwing it out there. If you were going to kill yourself and you had two guns and a pocket knife, perhaps you don't use the pocket knife. Uh, Perhaps. Just going to throw that out there. So, that makes it seem like murder to me. Did they test the pocket knife? I don't know your opinion. Huh? Yes. Yes. They tested the pocket knife against the wounds to see if the pocket knife um, matched. Yes, that was the knife that um, was used to stab him. Okay. Okay. Mr. Gebhardt was missing for at absolute most 10 hours. 
And he knew people were looking for him. He had already himself been in touch with 911 and he had been in touch with his best friend and he knew his best friend was going to call 911. Right. So he knew people were looking for him and the absolute longest he was missing for was about 10 hours. Right. Which screams, I called 911, I don't want to die. Exactly, because if you were suicidal, would you call 911 for help? Absolutely not, unless you're backing out. Okay, so do you think there's a chance he could have become so distraught at being lost in that time frame of 10 hours that he would have just panicked and killed himself? No, absolutely not. And also remember that he is a hunter and he is a camper. He is a big outdoorsman. Sleeping outside is not new to this man. Right. So he's not somebody that's always been at the five-star hotel and now he's dropped out in the middle of the woods and he's like, I don't know what to do here. He would have known how to handle himself. He would have had... Some equipment. I mean, he'd have had a flashlight to find the spot. He'd have had some water to drink while he waited. And he knew people were looking. Right. Yeah. That screams murder to me. Okay. So, here's where we may go the other way. Oh. His were the only footprints on the shoreline. Okay. So, did they check the trees? I'm just kidding. Okay, so here's what you need to know. It had last rained on the 18th and the 19th. Both days together total, it had rained less than half an inch. Okay. That was the 18th and 19th. He disappeared the 23rd. It was um, all week it was in the mid to high 80s. Okay, so it's dry. So it, yeah, so would there have even been other footprints unless they hiked through the actual mud? No, they could have come from the woods. Exactly. Is it possible somebody could have come from the tree line and not left footprints? Uh, yeah. Also... When the rescuers hiked in to get him, remember, nobody expected this to be a crime scene. They were just going to get this hunter that had got lost and was sitting there waiting on him. Nobody had a reason at all to believe he would be dead when they got there. So could they have accidentally walked over evidence or could a suspect's footprints have actually been there? But was mistaken for a set of prints left by rescuers. Yes. Very much so. And also, if it was odd that there was no other footprints, then how were his the only ones? Because there were rescuers that hiked into him. So, at least theirs should be there, right? Unless it's too dry to leave footprints. Right. So, either there were other footprints, but we're saying they were accounted for, or the rescuers did not leave footprints, which means a murderer also could not have left footprints, right? Correct. The temperature at the time he was spotted was in the middle 60s, so it's not like it was freezing cold or anything like that either. Or super hot, yeah. Right, and the high that day was 88, which, as you know, is very nice weather for Georgia. That's um, that's what we Fall live show. for. That is fall to Georgia. Yes. <laughs> yes, can't wait. He lived in Georgia. He hunted in Georgia. He would have been familiar with the temperatures. He would have known that they weren't going to drop much below the high 60s that they were at or the mid 60s they were at. Right. He would not have been, should not have been scared that it was going to drop to freezing that night and he was going to freeze to death or anything like that. 
It's possible he could have gotten chilly, but I mean, most people set their air conditioner down to the 60s at night if they can. I mean, I just don't think it's likely that the weather was what freaked him out enough to make him end it all. Right. Okay, he was known to be in good physical shape. He worked out and he ran often. So he would have been physically capable of surviving a night in the woods and then hiking out in the light of day if the rescuers had not found him. Right. So he's not, he didn't break a leg or an ankle or something and he's like, oh, this is where it ends for me. You know what I'm saying? He he was physically fit enough to be able to get out of those woods on his own. If he needed to. Right. And remember he had already found his way out of the woods on his own the day before. So another popular theory was that he was on drugs or something and he just got like um, paranoid or whatever. And so he was like, you know, oh, they'll never find me. I don't know. I'm sorry. What? That was a theory. I saw it more than once. Okay. His family and friends said he he rarely drank and he did not do drugs. And no drugs or alcohol at all were found in his talk screen. That tells me that he should have been thinking clearly, at least from the standpoint that there were no um there was no outside influence that should have been, you know, just messing with his head. Right. So, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Was there a reason that he would have been disoriented? Nobody knew of one. Nobody in his family was like, oh, yeah, that's how he was. Yeah. And with no drugs or alcohol, it really feels to me like he should have been thinking clearly enough to be like, surely they're going to find me soon. Exactly. They've got everybody looking, you know? Yeah, so that really has nothing to do with the story that he liked alcohol. Or he whatever. didn't. He was not a drinker. He was not, he did not do drugs. Oh, well. He was not known to do either one of those things normally, and also neither was in his talk screen. It was just a theory that people floated at the time that he got out there and he was drunk and panicked. Yeah. But that was not the case. That was not the case. So here's another thing, and there could be some debate on whether this even matters, but he was Catholic. He was a member of the church, and he was a member of the Knights of Columbus. And they're a Catholic organization that does, like, charitable acts, and they kind of do their version of like mission work and help people and their families that are in need. Um, I think they even do some like help financially with medical bills or insurance or something like that. It's been a long time since I, um, since I actually had heard the name. It's been a really long time since I I didn't even realize that they were still a thing. But apparently they are, and he was a member. Now, the church has softened its stance on suicide some in recent years, but I am the same age as Mr. Gebhardt. Mm -hmm. And I myself attended Catholic church as a child. And I can tell you pretty certainly that this man was taught from early on that your life belongs to God and that if you take his property, it's an attack on God. Suicide was considered a mortal sin when we were young, Mm -hmm. and that meant that it's unforgivable. It's a damnable sin. In a time of mental illness or mental distress, does that even enter into the equation? I don't know. I just know that for a practicing Catholic, that is ingrained in you. It's something that you were told repeatedly. It's 
it's just these certain sins are ones that you're told to look out for and that's one of them so yeah if he had some kind of mental health issue he may not have even thought about it but for a practicing catholic i think you have to consider the fact that that would have been in the forefront of his mind you can take that with a grain of salt it may or may not matter but um i'm just from my personal experience in the church even though what they say now is different what they told us then (laughs) was they were they were tough they were tough on a lot of stuff then so yeah again he called for help several times not just once not like hey if you find me you find me he called his friend several times he called 911 he in my opinion was acting like somebody that wanted to get out of that swamp and wanted to live he did not seem like somebody that wanted to be lost in in the woods forever right okay there was no other dna at all on the knife it was only his hmm. could, it could have that been be wiped? explained could have been it could have been somebody wearing gloves wearing gloves yeah and his his dna would be on his own knife but if For somebody sure. else was wearing gloves it's possible his DNA would be the only DNA on the knife. Yes. But it's possible that his was the only DNA on the knife because he stabbed himself 17 times. Yeah, 17 whole times. Yes, three times in the heart and uh, one time deep in the abdomen. Here's the thing. Mr. Gebhardt yep. worked at a slaughterhouse by trade. So he would have known how to kill something. Exactly. His actual job was slaughtering cows and pigs. He made sausage. He packaged meat. This would have, along with just being a hunter and knowing how to field dress an animal, All of this feels like useful information that you would want to know if you decided to end your life with a knife. Yes. In theory, he should have known how to make a more direct mortal wound instead of just stabbing about willy-nilly, you know? Right. So, I got curious, and you remember when I said the other week about um, the FBI agent that's in charge of looking at my search history on my computer? Yeah. Yeah, this is one of those things that's going to make that FBI agent question what is happening here. (laughs) I got curious, and I looked it up, and less than 3% of total suicides are completed by stabbing yourself. Less than 3%? Less than 3% of total suicides happen by you stabbing yourself. Of those 3%, 80% of those have less than three wounds. Hmm. So 17 is pretty unlikely. It, it feels like a lot of times to stab yourself. Uh, yeah. And obviously, by stab number five, it's not working. That feels correct. I mean, and some of them, you know, may not, some of them would not have been fatal, but he had four that for sure would have been fatal. Um, 17 times just feels like a lot. Yeah. So here's the scenario. Basically, let's just bring it back and look at it one more time. You're in the woods, you're hunting, Mm -hmm. you're lost. It's not too cold. It's it's pretty comfortable feeling. Right. Um, you know people are looking for you. You are not high, you are not drunk, you have a flashlight with which to signal a rescuer, a helicopter, whatever. You have water to drink. You are not going to die of thirst overnight. You are experienced in Mm -hmm. the woods. You are experienced with camping and sleeping outside. You have things 
that you're looking forward to. You know your bestie is at the campground mm-hmm. or maybe even in the search party looking. You have all of this happening and you say, no, I've been out here long enough. I'm just going to end it all. And you go, these two shotguns right here, mm-hmm. that's too much work. Let me let me stab myself 17 times in the chest and abdomen. Times. I mean, who uses a gun, right? I, mm, I've i got questions. I, I don't. So, what do you think? Did he kill himself? Uh, yeah. No. Sorry. No, he didn't kill himself. He was <laughs> murdered. 100% murdered. I mean. And I thought some of those, uh, I thought some of those stab wounds were in the back. That's what I heard when. Right. I and that's a rumor. That's a rumor that went around when, um, when it happened. And I'm going to be a hundred percent honest with you here. It was not in the autopsy report, but somebody that was there when the body was discovered, somebody that literally laid eyes on the body. Mm-hmm. that was in the rescue party that hiked in told us that he was stabbed a couple times in the back. Gotcha. But he literally was on on the rescue and um and he came in and told us he was talking to us about it and he said that the guy was stabbed in the back several times. This was early on, and it is totally possible that just the way the blood happened or whatever um, made it look like he had been stabbed in the back. I don't know. It could have just been a rumor. This guy could have been talking out of his butt. He may not have even been in. He was on the search party for real, but he may not have been one of the first to come in. Somebody might have told him that. I don't know. You got to, again, take that with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. But that was a story that went around. It was a story that people that were in the search party were telling. It was a story that made rounds through Wilkes County. I don't know if it's true or not, but it was not in the autopsy report. The GBI autopsy report, if you recall, concluded he was murdered. It was the autopsy after that, that by the state medical examiner that decided he was not. So you did have an autopsy saying, yes, he was murdered, and you had one that said he was not. I guess one superseded the other one. They held the grand jury on it, gave them all the evidence, and the grand jury was like, nah, that feels like a, that feels like a suicide. So where did this grand jury come from? It was, uh, the grand jury comes from, um, the county but it's on the circuit so i don't know if they draw from all the counties on the circuit but i believe it's only in the county where a crime has occurred is where they pull but it's the circuit grand jury the sheriff and all of them kind of in my opinion the entire time they leaned towards murder i did not hear anybody say that it was suicide until the grand jury wilkes county would have in all of the state of georgia really would have gained by saying it wasn't a murder simply in tourism but i don't know if it would have been enough to make it worth it you know what i'm saying yeah So, you know, like if there's a murder at Disney World, they have a stand, you know, they have a to protect their business. And if everybody's like, oh, you can't go there because you'll get shot or whatever, people are going to stop going. Fun fact. And so that makes sense. But I don't know. Fun fact. Yeah. uh, They will not declare you dead on Disney property. They will carry you off. Even out of the parking lot, they will carry you off of the property to declare you dead. I've heard that yeah. before. Because they want to protect their bottom line. Right. 
So the point being, was there really a danger that hunters were going to go, hey, maybe we need to stay out of Wilkes County because this guy got murdered in the woods? My thing is no, because the whole time hunters were coming in, now they were all talking about it, but they were not staying away. I they it was busy. They were not staying away. So I don't know what the grand jury not the grand jury, but what the state had to gain by lying. And the grand jury's made up of just regular people. So Yeah. Or regular people. I don't know. I I don't know what the air quotes. Well, I mean I guess that's true. So, let me tell you something else interesting that I had not actually heard of, despite it happening fairly closely okay. in that same year. And and it could be, and it probably is a pure coincidence. May not be, but it, it probably is. Two months after Gebhardt mm-hmm. passed away. Yeah. Just two counties away. There was another incident involving a hunter. Huh. Nelson Garner and his younger brother, Dave, they loved to hunt. And one of... That sounds familiar. It did not to me at all. Oh, okay. And I looked it up and I was like, huh, I've never heard this. So, anyway, Nelson Gardner and his Garner... And his younger brother, Dave, both loved to hunt. And one of them lived in North Georgia and one lived in South Georgia. But they shared this dream of buying hunting land together. And they found 105 acres in Hancock County. It was property that was going to be central to both of them. So they would be able to meet there and hunt. Mm -hmm. So they were super excited about it. And they wound up opening a deer processing business. Um... And they were going to use the profits from that to pay for the property. So they weren't looking to fund their households or anything. They were just looking to cover their land payment. Right. And it became a a very profitable business. They did very well. Um, It was right there in prime hunting real estate. So the hunters were coming in. And um, if anybody doesn't, if you're not familiar with hunting, you're not familiar with what that is. Basically, you take your deer in there and they'll turn it into sausage or grind it or, you know, whatever you want done with it, deer steaks, whatever. So that's basically what it is so that you don't have to do all that. And, you know, also sausage isn't something everybody can do. So it takes a few years and they both work really hard, but they do pay off their property that they bought. And during hunting season, Nelson would stay at the business and he would run. And then Dave would come and work there also. But Nelson was like the face of it. He loved being out there talking to the hunters, exchanging stories and all of this. So on the morning of December 2nd, 2012, Dave gets a call from a hunter and he wants to know why the doors are locked because they're supposed to be open. And Dave says, well, they shouldn't be locked. And then he gets another call from another hunter and he's like, you know, hey, why are y'all closed today? I I thought y'all were open. And Dave's like, no, we're not closed. We should be open. And then he gets a call from his sister-in-law and she's like, I haven't been able to reach Nelson all morning. I've been trying all morning, and he is not answering. Ah, huh, how weird! Dave drives the route to Tiny Culverton, which is where their business is located, and he's trying the whole drive to push the fears out of his head. And when he walks inside, he finds his sixty-year-old brother Nelson sitting in the chair like he always did. The only thing that was out of place in the entire shop was the puddle of blood under the chair. Oh my goodness. Robbery did not seem to be a motive. There was a stack of money on the desk right there in the room. There were several guns kept on the premises. Remember, because they're hunters. Nelson was... Nelson was very well liked. Everybody had a good story to tell about him. Even in the paper, when I'm looking this up, 
there were so many people just telling stories of how great this guy was, how wonderful he was to their kids, how, you know, how much they enjoyed sitting around talking to him. Everybody liked him. He enjoyed his customers. They enjoyed him. He liked to tell the stories. He liked to hear the stories. It was a highlight of the hunting season for most of the hunters in the area to get to go in and talk to Nelson. He wasn't robbed, so why would anybody kill him? Yeah, some, I don't know. The GBI will not confirm that they have ruled out robbery. But like I said, there was a stack of money and guns that were left. They also will not release the cause of death. They really won't speak much on the case at all other than to say it's an ongoing investigation. That's still. The Hancock County Sheriff's Department. Really? Yeah, still. they Nobody even knows how he died other than his brother. He's the only one that knows, and he will not tell anybody. Anytime anybody asks, he refuses to tell them because he doesn't want to hurt the case. Wow. The Hancock County Sheriff's Department um, manages somehow to say even less than the the GBI about the case. They just won't talk. (laughs) They have nothing to say. Oh. Now, Dave... Oh. Dave still works at the shop, and he asks every single hunter that he speaks to if they know anything about the case. He keeps a poster up about the um, case and about the reward, like a wanted poster type thing, um, in the shop. So every hunter that comes in sees it, and he questions every single one of them if they know anything. He truly believes that one of these hunters holds the key to solving his brother's death. The GBI has offered a $3,000 reward for any kind of information, but who would kill such a well-liked man, and why? Right. Do you have any theories? Just seems like out of the blue. It is. Now, Hancock County, um, can be a rough county. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. It can be a rough county. So, and there's been some incidents then. And even recently, there was an incident where a young lady had fallen out of a police car in Hancock County. And and there's some suspicion on that. But mm-hmm. with nothing being taken... It seems weird. Right. You know, like so if, if the brother had come in and like the place was ransacked, the money was missing, the guns were gone. You know, it's clearly, okay, well, he got robbed and, you know, that's that. But with everything still there yeah, and everybody really liking this guy, it, it just does not make sense. That was specifically to murder him. Exactly. And nobody knows why. And they have not had any leads or information on the case. Um, None of the hunters so far have known anything. Any information that the brother has gotten, he's turned over to the GBI. And so far, none of it has panned out. Wow. If you have any information on either of these cases that we discussed today, you can contact the GBI at 404 two four four two six zero zero and that's my stories for the week what'd you think they're good stories they're crazy they are both off the wall they're they're both true mysteries you know one is to the guy was obviously murdered but why and the other one even was he murdered Mm mm-hmm Both of them are very, they're different, still somehow connected. And if you're not aware, Hancock County is two counties over Mm -hmm. from Wilkes County. Warren County is between them. And Warren County butts up to Wilkes County and McDuffie County. Both of those counties are bordering where the wildlife management area are. So they're in both of those counties. Right. And then Warren County um, also butts up to that. And then Hancock is on the other side of that. So they're all right there. Do you have anything to share? Uh, funny story, funny story. Ooh, yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to tell a funny story in this one. <laughs> that would be untasteful. 
Okay, so we won't tell a funny story, story, but uh, just to, you know, kind of, I don't know. Lighten it up. Like a palate cleanser. Yeah. Um, Have you seen, it's a show on Lifetime, and it's called Frogging, with a P-H, Frogging? No. Have you seen it, seen it advertised? No. Okay, so it's about, um... It's about people that have somebody who's secretly living with them or living at their house, and they don't know it, like, in the walls oh, I did or the see attic. That. I did see that, like, last night, uh, a, a uh, TikTok on it, I think. Okay, so there is a whole show, and um, I'm pretty sure it's on Lifetime. And it is dedicated to this. And when I heard about it, I was like, how often could this possibly happen? But some of these shows are so creepy. I mean, so beyond. So if y'all have not watched it, go watch that show. Man, one episode, this woman, um, this guy was living Uh in their attic. And they did not know. And he was like a psycho, and he was like ordering medical supplies. He was planning to do these surgeries on them because he thought they were like some sort of alien species or a weird species of human or something. And so he was planning to do these surgeries on them, and he was like ordering medical equipment to do these surgeries on them. Did it just show up one day? The whole thing, I mean, it, it's Yeah, wild. It, was it like an Amazon package? No, they found his uh, diary where he had been watching them, and he was, like, documenting everything they did, and he was talking about his plans on what he was going to do to all of them and all of that, and he was, like, making lists of the equipment he needed, and, like, they had gone somewhere and he like filmed himself pretending to be the mom, like putting on her makeup, but he's buck naked on at her vanity table. <laughs> and he's like, oh um, God. putting on her makeup and being like, Oh, look at me. I'm so pretty and stuff like that. I mean, it was like, it was so creepy. And I'm like, man, I'm setting that whole vanity set on fire. No. Oh my God. <laughs> what was the name of this again? It's frogging, and it's spelled with a P-H. I think it's P-H-R-O-G or G-G-I-N-G. All right, I wrote it down so that I can watch it later. Yeah, and it's on Lifetime. I'm about 99.5% positive, but, I mean, it is wild. I was like, I don't know about this show, but the first episode, I was like, oh, no, I'm hooked on this. (laughs) Yeah. So, if if y'all have not seen it, go watch this show. It is crazy. So, do you have anything else? Nope, not for this week. Okay, so, we're trying to get ahead a little bit. So, I think we're going to do a couple episodes um, a little ahead of time. But when we get into October, I'm already working on those because I'm super excited for October. Oh, yes. And so, I want to do... I want to do, like, scarier stuff for the month of October. Yes. I'm so excited. So, I'm working I'm working on some stuff. Yes. I'm working on some stuff I'm pretty excited about. So, I am, uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but I am going to say that probably for the whole month of October, we're just doing spooky stuff. We're, um, we're not going to do, like, murders and stuff. We're going to do We're not going to do stuff. true crime. We're going to do true hauntings and stuff <laughs> true speak well i don't true know if uh, i don't it's debatable on if some of it's true but i do have one true story that i have been like from the day we decided to do this podcast i've been waiting to tell this story and i've been saving it for the week of halloween and i mean from the time we started discussing this i was like this is the story i want to tell <laughs> On that one. But I'm saving it for Halloween. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> we should do a special Halloween drop because I don't know if Halloween, Halloween falls on a Monday. So usually we drop on Thursdays. But for Halloween, we can do a special drop. All right. Well, we can do that. And then we'll do the my Halloween show. I'm super excited. I'm so stoked. Yes. 
And then I've got other ones that'll carry us through the regular episodes, too. Gotcha. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Hope y'all are into that. If not, catch you in November. (laughs) Okay, that's right. See y'all in November then. But you're going to regret it if you don't listen because it's going to be cool. And I got some uh, wild Halloween stories to tell. Some, uh, So you need to be thinking about some Halloween stories, too, that you can tell. Okay. Sounds good. Memories and such. Yeah. All right. So if there's nothing else, I guess we need to wrap this up because um, I got to go check my chicken because I haven't heard if it was doing. Oh. I was about to say. I'm trying to make dinner got, uh, in the midst places of this. To be. Oh, me too. I get it in the crock Yeah, pot. you got places to be. And yeah, I got dinner going in the midst of this. So I got to go check it. <laughs> okay. So um, if you like us, rate and review us. And this week we're going to share with somebody whose name starts with the letter J. Ooh. Really do need to make that list to make sure we're not repeating stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, you want to tell us about your frogging story, theories on one of the um, cases we've covered, any of that, you can reach us where, Maddie? You can reach us on our Facebook page at Unsolved South and um, on our Instagram at Unsolved underscore South. And you can also email us if you have your own long story or have a story suggestion our email is unsolvedsouthpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Sounds good. Is that it? Yep. That is that. All right. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye.